A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, listener. Welcome to episode 247 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, as well as canon, and your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website's second airborne division of podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and now Spotify, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of our multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman. And with me, like the spirit of a great Jedi master, the EU guru himself, the count of our two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Hey, everybody. I am. Uh, we are back, right? We are finally back. Although you introducing me like that when you don't tell me how you're going to introduce me this time made me want to say no one's ever really gone and then that really just kind of hit. <laughs> so, so I'm like, mm, <clears throat> yes. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it, it's, it's a tough, uh, a tough year all the way around, I would say. You know, 2020 has definitely kicked us in the uh, chonies. Um, and, and, you know, we've got some uh, new announcements. Uh, if you haven't been paying attention to our Facebook page and our uh, social media platforms, you may not know about the uh, coming announcement. But uh, let's just pull the Band-Aid off. Nate, uh, you uh, have something you want to say to the fans, right? Sure. Yeah. So um, uh, after a lot of careful consideration... Um, kind of had to make some decisions about, uh, for lack of a better term, my time. Um, I've been doing Star Wars podcasting for basically 18 years now. It's 18 years on May 16th, the anniversary of Attack of the Clones, because I recorded my first podcast, Chrono Radio, um, the first episode of that, the night after returning from the midnight showing, or I guess the the morning after returning from the midnight showing um, for the premiere of Attack of the Clones back then. Back when, you know, a midnight premiere actually meant midnight instead of like 7 o'clock the night before or something. Right. Um, and, I mean, I've been doing this a long time. Um, by my count, I think, if I'm not missing anything, I've done, I think it's 11 podcasts now. Uh, Chrono Radio, Other Voices, um, which I sort of executive produced. Um, Fan Audio Made Easy, Fan Audio News Source that nobody remembers either of. Um, the But Learniverse for a while. Um, one of my other longer running ones. Uh, the Star Wars EU Primer, EU Review, um, Republic Forces Radio Network for at least the latter seasons, uh, Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable, and now Cloud City Casino and Star Wars Beyond the Films. Um, done a lot of stuff within fan audio otherwise, did a lot of uh, guest spots and regular segments for stuff like Star Wars Action News, and did the audio dramas, like the first serious Star Wars fan audio drama released online, Second Strike back in 02, but then the anthology series and Nothing Changes and the Choose Your Own Adventure Always in Motion one, uh, Solitude, where I did all the music and sound effects with my own voice, which was really weird. Um, and just kind of, you know, doing what I could within the community for a long time. Um, for a while there, I ran StarWarsFanWorks.com starting in, in 03, which is still around, but it's not the same site anymore. Um, so I was kind of in the early days of, of the Star Wars fan audio stuff. Um, podcasting as a word didn't exist yet. I was recording on Total Recorder and editing in QuickTime Pro, which is a nightmare. 
Um, guest would come on not through Skype, but through a prepaid calling card and a cordless landline phone that I had with a speakerphone built into the back of it so I could stick it underneath the microphone. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, you know, just kind of building things early on with that very close-knit community back when Star Wars podcasting really started, back when the only things that had come before Chrono Radio had been Jedi Talk, which was streaming, uh, Star Wars on Direct in French, which was primarily streaming, and then uh, Digital Lama Radio, Chris Hanel and the guys. Um, so it's been crazy watching the last 18 years as Star Wars has changed and fandom has changed, but podcasting has really grown. It, it stopped being that little niche group and slowly growing from that same center to now podcasting is so big that you have people coming in that have probably never heard of most of the early shows in the genre or erroneously consider some shows like, say, the Force.net's um, Forcecast as that was the first Star Wars podcast ever. Well, maybe what you first listened to, but there were even two on that site before Forcecast was even around, and we predated that quite a bit, too. Um, so it's, it's, it's grown to this point where it's sort of it, its own thing, and it's awesome because the listenership has grown. Um, the expectations, I think, have grown, although I don't know how many s series out there are actually doing a good job of meeting fandom expectations. I don't listen to a lot of Star Wars podcasts anymore because I hear so much about how slanted different perspectives are to the point where it's driving people away from some shows. So I've always tried to kind of stay away from that and keep things intellectually honest here. Um, we've had the fun of coining some terms like the Stover effect and uh, uh, alt legends and whatnot. Um, so it's <laughs> been a, a fantastic 18 years and it's opened a lot of doors. I mean, I've met tons of people I otherwise would never have met, Mark included. I consider Mark one of my really good friends and yet he and I have never met in person ever before at all. Right. Um, the uh, the doors that opened, I mean, the, the the podcasting in my Star Wars timeline goal that ended after a little over 20 years, um, those were things that helped open the door to me being able to write for Star Wars Tales, which in and of itself gave me the type of confidence in myself to be able to write other things. They were, you know, didn't see as big an audience for sure, um, but other things later on. Um, and I mean, as I've been podcasting, I mean, I've moved between states, I've... Um, Started a teaching career almost immediately after Chrono Radio began because it was right after I graduated college, like the month I graduated college. Uh, I've you know, gotten married, um, bought a house. Well, I'm going to be paying on it forever, but bought a house. Um, have a child now. And what I've found over time is just from a time standpoint, um, every one of these big changes, especially having a child now uh, and the way that my, my job, for instance, works. Um, make having free time to actually spend doing anything like a fan project is is less and less um, of a thing. I just don't have as much time as I did. I have to be very judicious with this. And a lot of times it's impromptu. It's like, oh, holy crap, he fell asleep. Let me go record something. Um, so a lot of the more time consuming things I've sort of had to step back away from the Star Wars timeline goal being one very early on before he was born. Um, but then also, you know, at work, I've had many different hats at my in the county where I work, the school system where I work, and I've actually stepped back from a couple of those positions throughout this year as well. Um, but it's getting to a point where I'm starting to realize that it's time for me to change something. And that change is probably what everybody's expecting now that I've ranted for a bit or, or gone on for a bit. Um, and that is that I think it's time for me finally to retire from regular Star Wars podcasting. Um, Finding the times to actually get together and coordinate with others to be able to record has been very, very difficult, mainly because of my wife's work schedule, my schedule, uh, my son usually being here with me and not being very quiet. Um, so I sort of started to realize that, that that's what had to give. 
was to step back from the podcasting, make it so that, you know, maybe sometimes I show up as a guest on some shows or something uh, or shift it so that, you know, my Star Wars opinions are mostly done through my vlog, which has barely seen an episode in two years on YouTube. Um, but to focus on the stuff that I can do in bursts and do by myself without having to inconvenience anyone else or coordinate with anyone else so that things can get done and it doesn't have the kind of scheduling impact on my family that has often been the case. That's part of why Rebels Roundtables or Republic Forces Radio Network did not come back to cover season seven of Clone Wars because all these adults not having a chance really to coordinate. Um, it's uh, it's just kind of one of those things that uh, I guess I came to sort of later than a lot of folks because I didn't, you know, my son wasn't born until I was 39 years old. <laughs> so I had all those years in my 20s and my 30s to be doing all this stuff. I mean, started the Timeline Gold when I was a senior in high school and was able to keep all these things going, not really having to deal with the adult time pressures that oftentimes, you know, having a family, particularly a child, brings. So um, I'm having to make sort of those you know, tougher decisions, decided to step back. Uh, so this episode is not my last of Star Wars Beyond the Films, but it is the penultimate one because I love that word. Um, we're going to cover the 2019 <laughs> comics because we haven't had a chance to cover that. We're going to introduce to you the gentleman um, who I have great respect for who will be coming in to actually uh, step into my shoes or at least step into the slot um, uh, so that you still have the banter with two hosts, uh, two knowledgeable hosts here on the show. Um, and then next episode will be a feedback episode, and that'll be my last regular episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Uh, and then whenever we get a chance to record about Jedi Fallen Order will probably be that last episode for me of Cloud City Casino, unless we just cut it off here and I just do a guest spot at some point to cover something or say goodbye. Um, just kind of depends on me and me and Michael can record. Uh, and otherwise, I'll be turning my attention to keeping up the Patreon stuff, patreon.com slash Nathan P. Butler, of course, like the, the audio commentaries through there. Um, be keeping up with the YouTube channel with from the Star Wars Home Video Library and stuff like that. Uh, and continuing to work on the second edition of a saga on home video that right now is looking to be about 500 pages with maybe six or 700 pictures. Um, just continuing to work on the things that can be done kind of in solitude. And I know solitude is one of the things that pushed me away from the timeline a little bit because it felt so solitary. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, the community is built around all these other things that I'm doing, including the podcast, but also around the YouTube channel and around the book and everything are allowing those solitary pursuits to be something I can handle time-wise, but at the same time still has that community feel so I don't feel like I'm on an island out there. Uh, so I really appreciate everybody who's, who's followed my stuff over the years, who's been keeping up, in some cases, in, the, in on this show's case, since Chrono Radio back in the day, uh, since, <laughs> since I was a, a snot-nosed 20-year-old who thought he knew everything um, <laughs> and, and used language that, was, that would probably put people to shame. Um, I really appreciate it, and I appreciate all the support over the years. Hopefully those folks will continue to, to follow my other stuff. Um, but I didn't want to put our th this show or Cloud City Casino or any podcast I might be involved with at any time at the mercy of my schedule, when I know my schedule is ridiculous at times. Um, and it's made for some huge months-long gaps between episodes. I felt like the audience needed um, me to either be able to do more or finally step away because otherwise I felt like to some degree um, – doing a disservice to others while trying to do what was right on my end of things. And when it comes down to the choice, doing if I can do right on my end of things and do right by everyone else, I think that's that's the better option. So, yeah, so well, big for the record, thing. Yeah. I, I never felt like you've done a disservice. You know, I, I being where you're at now myself when I was at my 20s, 
I 100% understand how much, you know, a new child and a new dynamic to a family, how much that can time sink, you know, um, I've always appreciated the time that you and I have had in this show, the discussions talking about star Wars, even before we started this show, I mean, being able to reach out to you on the forums of starwars.com and, you know, and you would just stop what you're doing and you would just, you know, answer quick little questions and stuff. I mean, that was always something that I have greatly valued. And, and I'll be honest. I mean, uh, you know, I've, I've too have kind of known that sooner or later you were going to probably pull that bandaid off. Uh, but I, I had an emotional reaction last night when I was talking to my wife about it because like, you know, I, I, I love podcasting with Riley, but podcasting with you has always been a, a two sides of a coin. We're like a, a forced dyad of a sense, man. Like there was just something special about the time that you and I have because we're the same age and have so many similar outlooks on so many things that, you know, if I saw something in Star Wars and I didn't like it. And if you did, that would help me. And then if you also didn't, it would also help me. So like anytime I could talk to you about things, it would definitely help me process what was going on. Uh, so I think for me, you know, knowing that that day had finally came, it was probably one of the saddest moments for me for the show, because I'm like, how will I ever be able to replace the gifts that you come with and, and what you bring to a show, um, you know, and, and, and the new host that we're bringing in was one that jumped immediately to my mind because uh, he's a gentleman that when I first met him, we probably talked for about maybe three or four hours at a uh, Star Wars podcast listener meetup. And, you know, we, we clicked in the same way. Um, but man, it's just, it's just so weird to think that we're finally at that point where, you know, things are going to be moving and you're not going to be here anymore. And, you know, I'm even thinking like, man, maybe I need to bring in a, a third host just because like you bring so much to the table, my man, that I don't know if the, I can continue to, you know, put out as much information because now that there's been the shift from legends to Canon, I feel like in so many ways I have not kept up with the Canon like I did with legends. And so sometimes I don't feel like I'm as, in, as knowledgeable as I once was. So I, I think there's some opportunities here because like, you know, when you first came on, you had just done the EU review with Andrew loopy. So there were certain books and stuff that we never really kind of jumped right onto because you had just got done doing some of those. And we didn't want to go back and retread ground. So in one aspect, I'm looking forward to going back and treading some of the stuff that I haven't had a chance to talk about with our new host, but man, am I going to miss your insight, man? I'm going to miss so many things about it, but at the same time, you know, Star Wars reports, a family thing. I, I still look forward to, at least I'm assuming that at some point we're going to see some reviews and stuff from you on the written word and the, on that form. But I also know that if I asked you to come back, like if we were going to do a season seven recap of the clone wars or any other kind of recap or things like this, I know like if I really put the heat to the fire that, that I could probably get you to come back on for something really cool. So I'm not like devastated here, you know, but at the same time, it's such an emotional episode that I'm really, I'm really struggling to keep it all in check right now, man. It's, it's definitely uh bittersweet in a lot of ways. No losing one Sith, no losing one Sith this time. Um, <laughs> now you mentioned the, and we both mentioned uh, the gent who's going to be coming in uh, and stepping into the host duties as well. Um, and it's funny because uh, if you had asked me, you know, kind of what are the qualities to look for that I felt like I might be leaving behind or the, or what I felt like I was bringing to the show. A lot of times it was sort of the intellectual pursuit of things, um, kind of taking things at a rational level. And also that sort of the, the timeline slash chronology enthusiasm 
and whatnot. Um, and sort of the uh, almost almost the the educator sense of things of kind of looking at things in terms of you know what is breaking things down and and thinking about it in sort of a logical way, which I guess I think anybody who's really into the chronology stuff um, is also going to sort of have that same mindset, I think. Um, so uh, if you had given sort of me a list of of folks to consider as as top candidates, we probably would have had uh, this gentleman on both of our lists, um, which turned out to be a very good thing when you said, hey, this is who I think. And I'm thinking, OK, all right, <laughs> good, good, good call. Um, so we have with us this time for a, sort of a guest host on this episode as we look at the, uh, the t- 2019 comics and kind of set things up for where the series goes from here, for where the podcast goes from here. We have with us uh, Mr. And we joked about this before we started, uh, whether or not we should pronounce it in a Naboo way or anything. Um, <laughs> we'll pronounce it correctly. Uh, we have with us this time uh, Mr. Jim Lahane. Jim, welcome. And uh, for those who don't know you, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, first off, thanks for the the, the, the very great introduction um i feel all, all bubbly inside that you both would have picked me i figured it would be um i i was the the, the least common denominator uh <laughs> between everybody's choices <laughs> that's apparently oh. a math joke i hear i think so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> i love it already good so we've already got the jokes that are gonna gonna either sail or fall flat but nothing in between so you're gonna fit in just fine Yes, I'm told I am a master of dad jokes, and this is what I bring to the table. So really, in all honesty, I have dad jokes, and I'm told that I can talk a lot. And um, that that's what uh, that's that's really what I have. But yes, I am um, actually not Mr. I do. I, I do. Uh, I, I like my my title of doctor, but you can just call me Jim. Uh, I am a paleontologist by education uh, with a Ph.D. in paleontology, uh, but for Star Wars, I've uh, been timelining for probably about 20 years, not as long as Nathan, but I do have I have used Nathan as a um, a uh, sounding board many times um, since I've, we've first uh, been in contact with each other, which I don't even remember how long ago that was. Yeah, and <laughs> it's been it's been a very long time. It has been a very long time. And I remember um, I, I remember one of the biggest things was when um Order 66, Karen Travels' novel came out, and I did all the math. And I'm a, I'm a big numbers guy. My, my job that I have right now requires me to deal with, uh, with a lot of numbers. And I like numbers. And I was adding up the, the, the numbers, and I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. And so I ran it by you, and you're like, yeah, these, this, doesn't, this doesn't work. It's <laughs> not compute. <laughs> uh, Those numbers she, from Karen Travis, doesn't, they doesn't count. Yeah, it's just... So what's going on here? And you're like, I don't know. And so that's it. I, I do have my own timeline at Star Wars Timeline Almanac dot com. Um, that is a little out of date, but not out of date on my computer as I, I've been trying to catch up on all the stuff that I haven't missed. Uh, I do have a child as well, but she's 10. And so unlike unlike you, Nathan, I can just kind of leave her um, somewhere for a little while and uh she will um, theoretically be okay. I can leave my son alone for a little bit and, and he might be okay. I'm not sure that my house will be okay anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm collection. not sure that I will avoid jail time by doing so, but you yeah. Know. <laughs> At 10, I'm allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> 
You kidding, man? I'm living in the South. That's almost old enough to get married, drive, and drink. Yeah. In that order. <laughs> so yeah, that's a, I I love reading everything Star Wars. I've read everything that's come out nearly. I have a stack probably about three feet high of stuff I haven't read. Um, including legends and canon, trying to catch up uh, and fill in gaps that I may have missed. But mm-hmm. I collect all the books, collect all the comics, collect all the video games, and uh, I guess that's about it. It's a good core roundout uh, trait right there. Which you know, and and when we were talking about when should we introduce Jim, I immediately was like, well, this one's perfect because you know, as Nathan and I discovered when we were looking back on all the. Uh, the year in review stuff. I'm like, Oh my God, did I only read two comics in all of 2019? Like, I don't know how I fell off that pony and yet I did. Uh, so I've been spending the last like four months just desperately trying to catch up on all the comics that I had missed out on that. I just, for some reason just didn't crack open. So it made perfect sense to bring you in for this one because you are definitely on point when it comes to this. So as we are known to do, Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we take a look once again back over the previous year of Star Wars publishing. This episode, we're going to be focusing on the comics of 2019. Now, before we get too deep, consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure, Beyond the Films. And as always, we will divide these up. We will be looking at the Marvel series. We'll look at the weird sort of Marvel maxi series, the age of Star Wars stuff, the Marvel mini series, uh, briefly look at the Marvel Legends reprints, the IDW series, the IDW mini series, the idea. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. We'll keep that in because this is how it usually goes. I just usually cut my crap out. Um, <laughs> the IDW series, IDW mini series, IDW film adaptations and yin press stuff and that is idw not a and w although root beer sounds kind of good right now um so we start out with the marvel series is the ongoing series whether they are still ongoing or not again this is only stuff from january 1st to december 31st of 2019 so some of these have continued since we're going to focus in on the 2019 stuff from each of them though um so we sort of had three i guess you could say for the Marvel series in 2019, we had Dr. Aphra, which released uh, issues 28 through 40, which is the rest, the latter part of Worst Among Equals, the Unspeakable Rebel Superweapon story arc, and the Rogue's Inn story arc, along with Annual Number 3. They also released the trade paperbacks for the Catastrophe Con, Worst Among Equals, and Unspeakable Rebel Superweapon, but not yet Rogue's End at that time. You had the Star Wars ongoing series that ran issues 59 through 75 in 2019, which is the last part of The Escape, then all of The Scourging of Shu Torin, and then uh, Rebels and Rogues. The trade paperbacks of those three arcs were all released in 2019 as well. They did have what's called Empire Ascendant, which is sort of a one-shot, but sort of took the place of the annual for this year because there wasn't a regular Star Wars ongoing series annual, um, which is kind of like a bridge between the current, or what in 2019 was the current Star Wars series set before The Empire Strikes Back, and then the one that picked up after the Empire Strikes Back, uh, starting in 2020. Um, but that hadn't 
actually been released yet. The first issue of that post-Empire uh, version of Star Wars didn't wind up launching until January 1st of 2020, so it doesn't, doesn't count. The Jason Aaron Omnibus for that series also came out this year, or I keep saying this year, the year we're talking about, 2019, which included issues 1 through 37 of Star Wars, um, plus the Vader Down one-shot, Darth Vader 13 to 15, the Screaming Citadel one-shot, and Dr. Aphra 7 to 8. So it's essentially Star Wars, but when it crossed over with the other series, they sprinkled in those things as well. And then kind of an ongoing series, if you count a, a big gap from, you know, 1986 being the most recent issue to a new one in 2019, which is the original Marvel series that started back in 1977, got an issue number 108 in 2019. The only issue to sort of build on that previous continuity called Forever Crimson. So technically we had Dr. Aphra and Star Wars and technically the original Star Wars from back in the day that had come back with a Legends banner on it. Uh, all those were Marvel ongoing series in 2019. The only issue I have with the ongoing series, and it's not really the series itself, it's the numbering. I'm really getting irritated with the resetting of the number. I'm like, Afro number one's about to come out, Darth Vader number one's coming out, Star Wars number one's coming out. Can't we give it a little name behind it or something? You know, like Star Wars, the uh, Empire Strikes Back era or something like that. Like, I just the, the blanket name is throwing me off. Overall, though, these are all three, you know, the Afro, the uh, ongoing Star Wars, and even the Vader lines are all some of my favorite. I did catch the uh, Emperor Ascendant. And it did a good job of introducing all the next, you know, the 2020 lines, basically. Um, art was great. But, yeah, I I think about when I dropped off last year, and it was right there when Legends uh, Marvel Original 108 Forever Crimson, when that one came out, that was the last comic I bought in 2019. And I don't even, I don't even know why, man. I just, I'm looking back on it going, how did I not read anything else after that? And then I think about it. That's right when I went to work at Camp McCuala as the uh, head cook, had no internet, had no access to a comic store. And I was there for a couple months. So I'm like, clearly like that couple months made a habit where I just didn't even think about grabbing a comic. And then I was just trying to catch up on my books, man. So yeah, that, that made this first five months of this year, a little stressful because I, I've joked about how many comics they put out in a year, but until you have to sit down all at once and read them, it's overwhelming. Amen to that. Uh, I'll give my thoughts uh, third. So, Jim, uh, thoughts on Dr. Aphra, Star Wars, and uh, Forever Crimson? So I'd actually say the the ongoing series have been my favorite lately. Aphra, by far, hands down, is the best comic series to come out of Marvel um since marvel took over the the line and i i absolutely love it i love everything that they're doing with it the art is fantastic storyline's fantastic and it um yeah we've wrapped up uh they wrapped up the first part of afra at the end of uh 2019 and um i really enjoyed it the star wars line itself i enjoyed as well not as much but the it was kind of one of those i i prefer comic series that are ongoing as opposed to where every issue is a separate story, which is right. a lot what we've gotten lately. And um, so that, that, that makes the star Wars series kind of higher ranked in my, in my personal opinion. And the stories weren't bad. Um, they were, they were kind of par for the course, maybe a little better than par, but uh, not as high as Afra. And that uh, <laughs> one Oh eight issue was the most random issue and I think they only did it to kind of tie into the Bounty Hunter series that was coming up later to kind of 
kind of let you know that um, Valence was a character that's been around for a long time. Right. And and try to appease to the Legends fans, but still say like, hey, Legends fans, look, we have these uh, new Legends story and it's kind of tying into the new canon stories. Not really, but it's the same character. Mm hmm. Yep. Yeah, that was that was definitely something I got that vibe too as I was catching up on my age of comics. I'm like, man, these are okay, but I really like that connective tissue. I mean, that's always been my favorite thing about Legends, and that's definitely my favorite canon stories are the ones that really pick up those threads and tie them together and make such a great mosaic. And I I mean, Afro is one that really goes out of its way to to blend so much out of so many different angles. And I think like she's really the one standout character for me that is the new EU character. You know, she's like the ace a team of them. I mean, you've got her and then maybe Ray Sloan. There's very few characters that just popped up out of the books and the comics that have that staying power that have drifted into the other books, the other comics. And hopefully eventually maybe we'll see these characters on a TV show or something like that'd be cool. Yeah. All those rumors, all the like the, we got this covered. Yeah. We got this covered in bull. um that's okay saying stuff like chloe bennett um from ages of shield playing afra i could get behind that um well actually because that's the fan choice exactly it's literally the most obvious option for the character Um, (laughs) so looking back at these um i would have to read dr afra as a series was the standout among these three um afra is interesting to me it's funny because for a while there the series was written by kieran gillen who had also done Darth Vader, where she had gotten introduced and so on. He eventually was doing Star Wars uh, for part of 2019, I believe, um, but had moved away from Afra with size Furrier uh, picking up. But um, I think about Kieran Gillen's stuff, and just recently I've become absolutely enamored with a series he's doing right now called Die. Uh, it's the idea that there were these kids, basically, who were teenagers who got together to play this sort of role-playing game that one of them supposedly invented but it's like this weird mystical magical realm type thing that sucks them in a la the old like Dungeons and Dragons cartoon series in the 80s. And they wind up sort of trapped in this world and can't leave unless they all agree to leave. But they're all playing these certain archetypes that are sort of it's kind of a deconstruction of role playing game archetypes. It's sort of a looking at the genre from the inside and taking it apart and twisting it and just sort of seeing how it works. Um, and it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. Two arcs are out now. Um, And that got me to actually read one of his earlier series, The Wicked and the Divine from Image, that I actually read and finished reading last night as we're recording this. And it strikes me that that Afra, Chelly Lona Afra, is definitely the kind of character you could see coming out of a Gillen book. Because they're all these characters who have their issues. They try to do their best based on their own code or their own morality. But it just doesn't necessarily always work out. And sometimes they're just... They make bad decisions because there's some aspect of them that does kind of make them a bad person, or at least a flawed person. Um, and she has been great. The, the ending of her essentially, you know, saying, you know, you know, I'm I'm gonna just leave everybody, you all to your own thing. I recognize the damage that I cause to other people that I'm around, um, whether it's Tolvin or whomever. That was huge, and it was such a really well done character. And this year, I don't think had any weird spore force ghosty things, which is good. Um, so Afra definitely on top for me. One of the few instances of me actually picking up both action figures for a character these days, because I generally don't pick them up at all. Um, Star Wars Ongoing was decent enough this year. Um, Scourging of Shoe Torrin stands out to me because it was sort of this sense of, 
you know, getting to the point where, wow, Leia might actually be trying to take revenge. And it's sort of that temptation to the dark side for Leia that we usually don't see, where usually it's we're going to go with Luke if somebody's going to be tempted. So to have her in that position was interesting. But then you got other arcs. It's like, wow, we're on a planet where we have to pull off a thing. And look, it's one of Leia's ex-boyfriends. I'm supposed to care. No, I don't. I just don't. Um, that sort of thing. I do think the renumbering thing makes more sense with them renumbering after Empire, I guess, though they didn't really need to do it. The fact that we see all these relaunches of similar titles, though, like Afra, for instance, um, that to me screams the old Dark Horse accessibility, accessibility thing. People are more likely to jump in if it's number one instead of number 50. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Um, as for the original Marvel series, number 108, um, it didn't need to happen. I get that they wanted to celebrate it. I get that it was sort of a nod to the Legends fans. See, look, we'll put out something Legends, though this will be it. It's not going to continue from here. Um, it really kind of was one of those, yeah, but why, though? Kind of kind of interesting moments. Like, uh, it's it's the Ian Malcolm, right? They were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. <laughs> and because you think about it, and it's it's a, it's it's valence. And just like Jim said, I think it was just to make sure that they saw that connection of this was a classic character, not just a new one being introduced, because yeah. he was in Han Solo Imperial Cadet. He was going to be in Bounty Hunters. He was in Target Vader. But Valence is one of the few characters in the Marvel series who had a death that had meaning. He sacrificed himself to keep Vader from learning about Luke. And it was one of the more tear-jerking moments of that entire series. And they were like, no, about that sacrifice... <laughs> He's coming back. He's coming back. They pulled the death of Superman with Valence, basically. Um, <laughs> except in this case, they waited decades to do it. Um, for the longest time, that was a true sacrifice because he didn't come back. And now it, I think it's somewhat cheapened. People talk about, well, the fact that there's a sequel trilogy at all, or Dark Empire at all, or Thrawn trilogy at all, or, 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 just undermines the sacrifice of the original trilogy and what the characters did. Well, take that and apply it on a microcosmic scale, and you've got valence here. That didn't need to happen and kind of sucked. Um, yeah. No, I, I agree, too, with Jim and you about the valence angle because, you know, I was immediately like, ooh, ooh, this is this is the little breadcrumb. We might get some stories. We might finally get a sort of... No, no, that was... Yeah, it was, it was a good marketing campaign to sell the new stuff, but dang! Dang, did that hurt if you wanted more legend stories. I mean, it was nice to be able to say we did get something. But then again, after 2015, we were still getting legend stories in the online format anyway. But apparently very few fans cared. Ah, it just kills me to even say that out loud. No, nah, see, there were breadcrumbs. They were laying the breadcrumbs. Just that, the, you know, they expect you to look down while you're picking up the breadcrumbs and they just led them into a brick wall. <laughs> all that it was just pick up the breadcrumbs until finally oh okay okay that knocked some sense into me um which brings us to speaking of knocking some sense into people um the maxi series for marvel this time uh in 2019 which was the age of star wars whatever uh maxi series which was basically the age of republic the age of rebellion and age of resistance series made of one shots that together those three series made a maxi series so to speak. Um, you had, for Age of Republic, you had specials for Obi-Wan Kenobi, Jango Fett, one actually called a special that had multiple stories in it, Anakin Skywalker, Count Dooku, Padme Amidala, and General Grievous. For Age of Rebellion, you had Grand Moff Tarkin, Princess Leia, Han Solo, Boba Fett, Lando Calrissian, Jabba the Hutt, Luke Skywalker, and Darth Vader. 
for Age of Resistance. You had a, and I think there was actually a special there that I missed. Um, yeah, Age of Resistance. Yeah, uh, let's see, Age of Resistance. We had Finn, Captain Phasma, a special General Hux, Poe Dameron, Supreme Leader Snoke, Rey, Rose Tico, and Kylo Ren. And then all these series each had two paper uh, trade paperbacks released. One called Heroes, one called Villains that collected either the hero one-shots or the villain one-shots for those stories. Um, just, wow. Just, wow. That's a lot of issues for that Maxi series. Um, again, I'll go ahead and go last. Uh, Mark, what'd you think? So this is one that I was desperately trying to blaze through, burn through all of them. I was kind of all over the place at first. I uh, read some Kenobi uh, but I kept coming up with kind of like the same bottom line with most of these decent story, but non-essential. Uh, like, and, and I go back and forth because like some of them, like the Django Fett one, I really enjoyed that one. Like we got some insight into Boba Fett, how he was trained, why he seems so evil for a little six, eight year old, however old he was in the Clone Wars. Uh, but I liked it. You know, they, they talk about the livestock, uh, the clones being livestock bred as cannon fodder. Uh, you get to see a lot of that insight between Jango Fett and Boba Fett when they go on their mission and then Boba gets betrayed, Boba's captured. And then all of a sudden Boba takes someone out and you're like, dang, dude, this little kid is violent. Um, the Mesa, the, the special one you were talking about, we get to see some stuff with Mace and stuff that was fun. But like Jim had said, you know, and I've said on past episodes, I'm a fan of that continued story. And I definitely got the feeling like these were just, kind of like a showcase like hey uh we're looking for people out there authors and artists that want to do star wars this is your opportunity you can write whatever story you want to and it was cool in that regard but unless they come back and pick up on some of these threads and do something with them it's hard to feel like there was any essentialness to these it felt more like a journey to type thing even though it wasn't leading you anywhere it was more like this is just a bunch of backstories that we're going to give you and it felt more like the guys of the tales of stories. Like, you know, there were times where like, like I want to say it was even the special one where we were jumping from time frame to time frame. Like you start out at one point in the clone wars. And the next thing you know, you're, you're back with Valorum in charge. And then you jump forward and Ahsoka's on the run. And then you go back to the clone wars again. And you're like, what in the hell is going on? Like there was no continuity in the comic itself in the aspect of the way the stories were lined out. So it was a little weird in that regard. Um, but there were some really good moments, some, a lot of cool art. Um, I'm not, you know, dogging on that. I really actually enjoyed what I was seeing all the way through. Um, the uh, Age of Republic Anakin Skywalker one was a really kind of a fun one. I, I like that Anakin stood up to everybody and goes, there's a better approach to this. Isn't the whole reason that the uh, the Jedi are part of this war was to help save lives? And to hear Anakin saying that and then have him come in and it's a bunch of slaves and stuff. Like, that was a really fun story. The Count Dooku one uh, from Age of Republic Count Dooku. You know, it was like a two-pronged mission. You got Dooku as Dooku. You got him working as Lord Tyrannus. But there were a lot of times where a lot of these stories just kind of come to an abrupt end, which I didn't like. Um, I did enjoy the uh, Padme Amidal one, but that one also just came to a quick stop. And I was just like, damn, man. Uh, Age Resistance Poe was probably one that I, I got a bigger kick out of because it was interesting to see him in the aspect of working for the new Republic, because that's still, you know, I, I haven't read all of the Poe comics, so I'm not quite as up to date on Poe as I should be. So getting to see him in that guise while he was still working for the new Republic was kind of cool. But by the time that story played out, I was kind of like, Oh, that was kind of weird. Cause it ends up being the person that he's chasing is vice Admiral Holdo. And I'm like, I don't know, man, that's, that's a little weird because they, they, 
why didn't they just affect like i don't know there were some really cool designs on the x-wings and stuff but i wanted more that the whole time with every one of these i just kept wanting more i wanted more little tidbits about things i wanted more character development i wanted more connectivity and so for me i I felt like this was almost like a a trial that kind of failed um i i don't know if that's you know i don't think my opinion is is the majority but at the same time i kind of feel like this probably didn't work for the global fan community because it was just so all over the place. So I'm going to have to agree with you on most of that. Um, I, like I said, I don't like stories that are these short one shot stories that have no meanings whatsoever. And overall, these stories were generally forgettable. I, I literally just went through every single one of these comics less than a month ago. And until you brought up some of the stories, I couldn't remember what nearly any of them were about. Right. Uh, I remember t- I, I remember talking to my friend about uh, Darth Maul. He's like, Darth Maul's coming out with a story. And I'm like, I guarantee you, if that one is set before episode one, it is about Darth Maul getting frustrated, going out, killing people, and then having to cover it up. <laughs> like, that, is, that is the quintessential Darth Maul before episode one story. And that is nearly what the story did. And it it actually connected to the other Darth Maul comic, which I was uh, impressed. They at least had a a mention of the other Darth Maul comic, um, which I wasn't anticipating. But most of the stories didn't connect to anything at all. Um, I'd say the Age of Resistance Ray one was interesting because we got to actually see that something did happen on her journey to go see Luke, uh, which was interesting. Um, I enjoyed it. I like the Poe one. You're right. I, I found that the, the Poe one probably one of the best ones um, just to see Poe back when he was with the Republic. I believe I enjoyed the Snoke, but again, I can't remember what the Snoke one was about. I'm mixing the Snoke up with uh, the Kylo the, Ren one, the Kylo Ren story. Yeah, because uh, I Gardner Snoke. Um <laughs> that's the one that sticks out of my mind, but I I remember I I did enjoy it. But even like, you're right, they bouncing all over in time. The Age of Resistance Holdo comic took took place during the Rebellion. So it wasn't even a Resistance set (laughs) storyline. One thing that that jumped out to me that I I was picking on was Age of Rebellion Han Solo. And I'm looking there, and I actually had to pull out (laughs) Episode 7 because I'm like, no way are they are they trying to retcon it because han and chewie are sitting there and they're, they're looking at a map right and i'm like wait han a hollow map in their rec room on the falcon no way no bb8 projected that map when they were talking about least so i go back and i'm watching it and sure enough there's bb8 put it up and han's like all oh, the legends are true all of them I'm like so yeah, we're looking at this comic, and yet there they are. Chewie's sitting in front of the hollow board, and Han's sitting across the room, and there's this giant map in the air. And I'm like, did the guy that wrote this not realize that BB-8 was projecting that map? There's no map projector in the Falcon's rack room. I was, I got so lost on that for like a whole twenty minutes. <laughs> minutia, minutia. That that's what we do. Um, I said before, that's what fans do. Fans are the ones who go for the minutia. Um. So, yeah, for these, I mean, I I got to agree. I mean, they just, for the most part for me, fell flat because they didn't feel like there were stories that meant anything. They didn't feel like there were stories that were meant to give us any new insights, meant to be at all particularly um, standout tales. Um, they didn't even really feel like a showcase, as Mark was suggesting there, because Age of Republic was all written, I think, except for some of the ones in the special by Jody Hauser. Um, Age of Rebellion was Greg Pak, and then Age of Resistance was Tom Taylor. And... 
that meant it was the same writer, even if the artist might have changed at times. Um, and they just didn't feel like they really meant much of anything. I mean, after the very first ones, I'm like, oh, Lord. You know, I think I missed the fact that there was a, a, a Qui-Gon Jinn went off my list. Um, but just kind of like, oh, for the love of, you know, because it just didn't. It felt like they sat around and the story pitch for this because they hyped the hell out of this. It's the age of stuff. You're going to love it. There's so many things happening here. There's going to be stories in all three eras and a bunch of character focus. You're going to love it. And it felt there like there definitely pitch... was a lot of stuff going yes, there on were. there. There were definitely were a lot of them. <laughs> um, but it's kind of like somebody sat around and the pitches were more like what was done for Star Wars Tales, which I can attest to, at least for my particular issue, where it was sort of a you want to write a story? Sure. OK, pitch something. As opposed to it being like there's a plan to any of this. You would have hoped that maybe there would have been some connectivity at least within this series or each of the different eras because it was the same writer for all of them. And that really didn't happen much. I found myself leaning a little bit more towards the Age of Resistance stuff, probably for two reasons. One, because it's Tom Taylor and he tends to write Star Wars well. Um, I, I'm still a huge fan of his Injustice Gods Among Us storyline uh, for DC based on the, the games. Um, but also... I feel like there's so many people we wanted to know more about in Age of Resistance that giving us anything was at least something, even though in many cases it still didn't add much to our understanding or anything. But I feel like this entire series was like as if they had gone in for a pitch meeting for an episode of Game of Thrones and said, you know what? I got an idea. So Danny, right, Daenerys, and Jon Snow, right? So they're kind of working together now, among other things, right? Here's what I think would be awesome. They both kind of wear black and they're all kind of like wearing the regalia. Let's say they both decide to go do their laundry and they don't realize they're going to the same place and the laundry gets mixed up when they leave. So they wind up wearing each other's clothes and they just laugh and laugh about it. And then they wind up like taking it all off and banging or something. <laughs> would that not be awesome? And that would give another reason for why they, they, they're hooking up when they're, they're family. Spoiler alert. Um it feels like that. It's like a it's 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 giving us backstory to a degree in the sense that it's giving us stories from before one of the times we saw them, but it's not giving us any meaningful backstory. You know, like if right. I'm going to read, and I guess that that goes to the historical thing. Depends on your approach to this and what we want to see, because from a historical standpoint, I'm sure Jim could attest to this too. But when you're thinking as a historian, um, there's two different ways of looking at different events within history. You can look at history in terms of what are these big events that were the big changing moments and the effects that they had. But then you also need to look at the little minutiae of people's daily lives to understand how people lived, because that forms the context in which all the big events have happened. So in that sense here, we got something that gives us virtually no big events, but some bits of context of just daily life and small events for these individual characters. The problem is that for most of them, barring maybe the ones from the Resistance era, we've seen so many stories with them already, whether it was on film, on TV, in books, in comics, in canon, in legends. We've seen so much in them that we don't need that anymore. Like, I don't need a comic with some random one-off adventure of Padme to understand Padme as a character because we've seen her so often. Same thing with Tarkin, same thing with Han Solo, and so on and so on. So in that sense... It was Danny and John going and doing the laundry. Did we need to see it? No, but hey, it's inside into their daily life that we didn't need. So yeah, for me, the age of comics, I didn't have very high hopes for it to begin with because I wasn't quite sure what they were going to do with it. And it was constantly, you know, as soon as they said it was one shots of different characters, I had no faith there was going to be any connective tissue at all anyway. And this, I guess I came out of it less disappointed than I could have been because I came into it with no 
real hopes for it, just wanting to see what they did with it, and it wound up being exactly as completely disconnected throwaway stories as I expected it to be. Right. One of the things that really irritated me was when you look at the credits, I'm like, I look at the story group, and I'm like, really? Three members of story group? Three members of the story group are needed for each of these stories? Like, there's nothing consequential about this. Why do we need three members of the story group for this? Like, it gets me back to what the hell is the story group doing? You know, one of these, we we learned Han loses all the money right after he gets it. Like, ah, God, really? Again? (laughs) But yeah, I'm I'm in that same boat of like, yeah, here we go with a lot of these stories. They could have just been infinities even. I mean, and. I, that, you know, Nate, we've been talking about this, and I think Jim would probably even agree that has been the key problem since Disney has taken over is that they don't want to tell the types of stories in the books and the comics that they're telling on the film. And man, they really need to go back to telling something bombastic in these that we can then tie off of to bring that back because you still have people out there that are saying that all the books and the comics are just another expanded universe and they don't matter. And we're just seeing that proven time and time again that there are still canon levels, even if Matt Martin won't admit it. It's all over. But no, it is it is not that this is Legends all over again. This is not that we have the films that matter and the other stuff that doesn't. Because in Legends, the other stuff mattered more than the stuff we're getting now outside of films within canon right. because of how tentative they are. So if anything, Legends handled the it all matters better then canon where that's supposed to be the rule. I think we can all agree that one Han Solo should never be trusted with money ever. He's like me when I was a pizza delivery person that every time (laughs) I went to give people their change, I apparently dropped money. And by the end of the night, I owed the money on the pizza. And after three weeks of doing that, I discovered it cost me more to be a pizza delivery person than I was making. Oh, God, no. (laughs) I I did come across the thought that Han really has the worst luck. It's like every time the luck goes his way, he's got twice as much bad luck coming his direction. (laughs) For God's sake, throw away the dice. They're not giving you good luck. Um, All right, speaking of Solo, that actually brings us well into the next category, which is the Marvel miniseries. Um, we had Han Solo Imperial Cadet uh, end with issues one th- or excuse me, issues three through the end and its trade paperback this year. We had the solo film adaptation wrap up with issues four through its end and its trade paperback. We had the entirety of Star Wars Allegiance, part of the journey to Rise of Skywalker. We had the miniseries Jedi Fallen Order Dark Temple that was sort of an origin story or an earlier story for characters in that video game. We had Target Vader, which in essence was kind of heading us towards the Bounty Hunter series. We had Vader Dark Visions, kind of some weird standalone uh, darker stories about Vader in its trade paperback. Uh, we had TIE Fighter, in theory a tie-in to Alphabet Squadron, um, which was all released in 2019 along with its trade paperback. We had Galaxy's Edge get released, uh, the comic series based on the Disney park, among other things, uh, all this year and with its trade paperback. And then we saw the first issue of Rise of Kylo Ren, but not the rest of it. And Star Wars Saga number one, which is basically just a recap of Star Wars and Darth Vader for those, I think it was Star Wars and Darth Vader, maybe Star Wars and Aphra, but a recap of some of the Marvel stuff to help get people ready for the upcoming new uh, relaunches of various series from Marvel. So quite a few mini-series this time around, some of which were all this year and some of which just ended this year. One thing I got to say, I liked how these mini-series did tie into each other. 
I didn't see it at first, but then the more I started reading the next one and the next one, stuff like like Han Solo Imperial uh, Cadet, right? That one had quite a bit of tie-in to uh, the Tie Fighter. Like I, I was I was kind of surprised. I'm like, wait, that's that one guy, and then I'm like looking back and I'm like, oh no, that's that other guy. Like, so I, I get a kick out of those kind of things when they do it and they do it well. I did also like when it came to the Imperial Cadet the way that they used Han's character. I felt like he was every bit the smart ass that we saw in the Han Solo Star Wars story. Uh, when he's sitting down with the barber droid, and he's like, just a little off the sides. I'm like, yep, that, that's about right. And we see him, he's actually training at Carita still, so that's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought that was an interesting thing, because when, when I get to TIE Fighter, and we see the the Gree twin, uh, you know, the one of them, and then he ends up talking to the other one, and then we eventually see him come to his fate. And I was like, no! Like, I don't know, like the little things like I didn't even know the character long, but just because he tied into this, I was like, I was really bummed to see him depart, <laughs> I should say, from the series. Um, but, you know, I remember when we read the TIE Fighter the first time and we were talking, Nate, about uh, Alphabet Squadron, how it just didn't feel like a tie at all. And now I'm reading it again in anticipation of Shadowfall, the second book in that series. And I'm I'm actually kind of feeling like the TIE Fighter story did more for that trilogy of books than alphabet squadron did alphabet squadron did nothing but give you a whole bunch of characters but this one gives you an idea that you've got imperials that are becoming break off warlords uh and and where they're set up with that i think was pretty interesting and i don't think we're going to realize how much it ties in until we get to Shadowfall. um I really felt like it's seeding things more so than ever before. And I think that we got more distracted by the fact that it's a tie-in and we were expecting it to tie into alphabet squad more because that's what they said. But I feel like that was just the, the journey to marketing lie that they give everybody, you know I mean? Like, yeah, it ties in, but not really. Cause it's tying into the trilogy, not the first book kind of thing. And I, I got more of that sense reading it on my second time through, um, the fallen order. I still haven't played the game. I'm waiting for it to come down in price. In fact, that's the last comic that I had read before we came down here. Uh, that one was pretty good. Like I was, I was really floored by how much dialogue was throughout that comic. Like of all the comics that I've been binge reading in the last four days, especially that one was chock full of dialogue, which is a great thing because it really provides a lot to the story. But then you get to the end of it and you're like, ah, oh, like it was I, I haven't played the game, so I don't know how good of a buildup it is. There's so many mysteries that I want to know more about. And they're like, and now play the game. And I'm like, you bastards, I don't have the game yet. So now I got to go out and get it. I mean, it definitely worked in that regard. It's it's pushed the thorn in my butt a little deeper in where I got to actually move now. Um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting that game just because I want to know more about that temple and, and, and the secrets involved. But I like the way that they did the... Uh, the relationship between the master and the Padawan and the way the Padawan's instincts were kind of getting in the way. And the master, even when she gets called out in front of the council about it, he's like, you know, like, yeah, she's young, but you know, at least she's not old and not listening to her instincts. Like some of you guys uh, respectfully, I'm like, Oh snap. Did he just be slap Yoda? Like, <laughs> like I really liked the relationship there. And then when they get separated and how she's trying to figure out how this one little nation on the planet that doesn't want to be part of the Republic, how they're going at war and the way that the war builds up. And you're like, which side's really at, you know, the good guy, who's the bad guy. And the way that it was so blurred by the time I got to the end of that, I really enjoyed that one. That was a, a, a definitely a better story than I thought it was going to be. But at the same time, because of the tie-in, I'm kind of like, does the Inquisitor's story even need to be there? Because I was curious about what was going on with the Inquisitor and stuff, but we never got, any of that resolution like the last i recall like 
the Inquisitor was there at the temple and a blue lightsaber ignited, but we never really got, we never found out who that person was or anything. So I'm like, I'm assuming it has to be the character from the video game that she comes into and that's part of the level. But it raised so many questions and I'm kind of like, you probably didn't even need that character arc in there whatsoever. You could have just tossed that off to the side and we'd have been totally fine. Um, and yeah, like I said, uh, you know, I've already talked about Empire Descendant, but that TIE Fighter one, I really dug the art. Like I, you know, I've said it time and again, when it comes to space battles, man, you get a good artist in there and you've got nothing but clip after clip of just screenshot. This is great. Screenshot. This is great. And I, I'll tell you, man, yesterday I was putting a lot of 3D photos on Facebook and those things look really good 3D. <laughs> so looking through the, uh, the the list of the the series that come out, I did... um. I did enjoy the Han Solo adaptation and the Imperial Cadet. I thought they t- they tied Imperial Cadet very well into that gap in time within the movie, and they tied it within the 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 comic series really well. And then that expands out because you have Valence in that series that gets tied to Target Vader, where he is the main character essentially besides Vader, um, and then that gets tied to um, what we're all uh, anticipating at this point. Um, Marvel 108. And so that was a joke. Uh, the I, I got it. Came. Okay, good, <laughs> good. <laughs> um, and so I enjoyed the Han Solo series. I thought they did really well there. Uh, I rather enjoyed the Target Vader series as well, which again, a lot of these things feel like they're their buildups to other things, which is the, the bounty hit hunter series in this instance, like the try the target Vader, see if that works. And then we can do a, a series just on bounty hunters and um, which the, we're not going to talk about bounty hunter series since that's all 2020 now, but uh, currently is falling flat for me. Um, the tie fighter series. I a hundred percent agree with you. That was, it, they, they advertise it as like a crossover special where crossover in my mind is the fact that they're, behaving at the they're, they're, the time period is the same and they're not even close to the same and so like I go into this comic series already soured at the beginning of it because they're um, just lying outright of when it takes place and the fact that like barely any of the characters actually uh, are in the same series but the, the comic itself is alright uh, I, I love that time period between Empire and Jedi I feel it's a very um, it's, a, it's a small time period that isn't uh, analyzed a lot. We don't get a lot of stories in that time period because it's such a short time period, but it's a very important time period in the Star Wars saga. So I like that we do get a couple things there, and that's where the the Tie Fighter falls in. Allegiance, uh, nah, it was okay. It didn't tie into the movie whatsoever, uh, <laughs> as the 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 journey to uh, the Rise of Skywalker um, had. Uh, if it had some sort of tie in, they didn't. Uh, they didn't. Um, announce it at all um jedi yeah, fallen that order journey to line the journey to line is probably <laughs> the worst advertisement they have ever come up with since disney takeover and they never fixed it you think they would fix it after uh the third time no they're they're riding this pony <laughs> into the ground yeah. <laughs> uh jedi fallen order i i agree i haven't played the game i've owned the game since it was released i played probably about it played it for about an hour Almost finished the first board, um, and then life gets in the way, as uh, I'm sure we're all aware. And I haven't been able to ha- had time to go back to it yet. And so I I, I do want to see how it ties in. I lo- I love that sort of thing. It's kind of why I like Afra. I love uh, archaeology. Archaeology was my first love. Um, 
with uh, Indiana Jones. And so I love things that kind of uh, delve into the ruins and the ancient uh, ancient things within the Star Wars universe. And then we have Dark Visions and Galaxy's Edge, which both fall into my category of, uh, I hate when you have an overarching story or just um, mini stories within each comic. It, it's, it's the same as the, the Age of series. It's the Dark Visions. Most of the stories, it was kind of funny, is that before I even read the Dark Visions comics, those stories were lighting up Twitter um, because of how like terribly they portrayed women um, and just how terrible the stories were. And so I go into the comics going, yeah, they're pretty much as bad as people are saying they are. Yeah, and, I didn't get to those at all. And I was like, <laughs> well, I've, I've seen enough on the Internet that I'm like, I'm probably not missing out on this. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the timelines they're they're one of those that um, I don't remember. Oh, the book, uh, um, the Legends of Luke Skywalker, where none of the stories were real. They were kind of like um, fake stories within a fake universe. And right. that's kind of where Dark Visions kind of fell, fell in. It was like they're sort of real, sort of not. And that is probably the worst set of stories I have ever read, because not only are you dealing with a fake universe, the Star Wars universe, you're dealing with fake stories in a fake universe. So they have literally no impact whatsoever. Um, and in Galaxy's Edge, I, I love the park. I love everything about the park. Um, but I, I could have probably been done without that comic series. Now, if you had to describe that comic series off of, say, a book like Black Spire, right? Because I, I really, I haven't been to Galaxy's Edge yet, uh, but I'm looking forward to it from Black Spire. Do you think that a person that if they hadn't read Black Spire and they only read Galaxy's Edge, the comic, do you think they would get that same feeling of, I want to go and explore the park and see if I can find any of this, this lore in a sense? Or not was it at just all. Complete... ah that's that's what no, I was afraid I'd of. say I'd say Black Spire Black Spire reads like a um travel log in parts like she's literally talking about where things are in right. the in the uh in the outpost and they're related to where you are in the park and so it feels like she was literally sitting in the park writing the book like describing where like the encampment and the forest and everything are. Whereas the comic series really only takes place within a couple buildings of each other while they're trying to um, obtain the, the sword. Um, I love how Dr. Afra actually pops up in the series um, because she is again, a fantastic character. Even in this series, she's a fantastic character. Um, the highlight. <laughs> but, yeah, she is definitely the highlight but it has no relevance to the park itself other than you kind of get the background on some of the things. Like there's a uh, baby uh, Sarlacc within Doc Ondar's shop that you can go in and see. And they drew it as you would see it um, within the park. And so that was, that was interesting. Um, it was kind of yeah. cool. But uh, other than that, there's a lot of, there are a lot of like background stuff that it'd be like, Oh, that's neat. That's there. But you're really, it's not as expansive as you would get with the book. Hmm. Okay. Well played, so, I guess, or not. <laughs> so these, I got to say, uh, I will say that the mini series worked better for me this year than the other series. Uh, certainly better than the age of stuff. And really in many cases, better than the ongoing star Wars series. Like only Afro really stood out beyond these. Um, I would say Imperial Cadet, I thought, was pretty well done, giving us the early Han. I mean, it's still kind of getting used to that Han, but I think it went over fairly well in the fact that it gave us 
and a new origin story for Valence to be used later was pretty cool. Uh, so nice to see that there. It seemed like that was the main purpose of it. Of course, that then led into Valence appearing in Target Vader, which really wasn't my thing. I was kind of, eh, I don't really care that much. Not like Vader's going to die. But to have that be what's going to lead into Bounty Hunter, I can see why that was needed. So I'm okay with that being there. It's kind of like that middle arc of Clone Wars Season 7 with uh, the Rafa sisters. You know, you're like... I see why we needed it to have a reason to, to actually see Ahsoka not trying to be a Jedi for a little while during her walkabout or whatever, because she kind of is acting Jedi-ish as soon as we see her again next. But yeah, by by itself, it's it's only okay. Um, Tie Fighter, I still think kind of asinine. I mean, it wasn't a bad series in and of itself if you look at it in a vacuum, or even if you look at it in connection to other comics series. If they had not advertised it as the tie-in slash crossover to Alphabet Squadron, I would be totally cool with that series. Wouldn't be my right. favorite series, but I'd be totally cool with it. But the fact that they pulled that absolute BS when they said that it was actually a crossover event and they advertised that and Alphabet Squadron that way, that's asinine to me. It makes me wonder if the goal of making them tie-ins and promoting them as tie-ins predated the actual writing process. So that when the writing process was done and they realized, oh, crap, these really don't tie in much at all, they were already stuck with it. Uh, and I do hope, as Mark said, that maybe what we're seeing is some seeding in the comic series that doesn't feel like it's as connected that will eventually be connected once we get the rest of the books in that series. So that it's actually a crossover with the series, not a crossover with Alphabet Squadron, which tended to be how they advertised it. Um, Vader Dark Visions, although it was kind of interesting as a change of pace, um, some of it was really kind of messed up, particularly the way that it treated women, as noted, uh, like the woman who's like absolutely gaga and bizarrely twisted over Vader. It kind of felt like, to some degree, this was Marvel's more adult version of Tales from Vader's Castle, which we'll see in a moment from IDW, which in and of itself, both of them are kind of like Tales from the Crypt, right? Where you've got, you know, somebody who's like, you know, you know, I'm going to tell you a creepy tale of darkness from this galaxy far, far away that won't really tie into anything, but this episode by itself will kind of be weird and creepy and screwed up. Um, I, I wondered if we would ever have a Star Wars story in the Marvel line that would have characters who were more screwed up than Afra. Look no further. Um, let's see. Um, Allegiance was all right. Um, I felt like all the stories that were trying to lead up to Rise of Skywalker were all about, we gotta go find allies! But they were kind of happening in a vacuum because they really didn't touch on each other at all. And it was hard to tell which happened when in relation to the others because they were all kind of trying to do the same thing. Um, in particular, I had hoped that the fact that that goes to Moncala and we see Nosori and others again would actually enhance my appreciation for the Moncala arc in the Clone Wars cartoon series. Because I actually just recorded the commentaries for my Patreon. Um, for those who don't know my Patreon, I do... Um, Clone Wars commentaries. I'll eventually do more. I got Clone Wars and then Volumes 1 and 2 of Forces of Destiny now. Um, but I've just recorded the commentaries for the Clone Wars for those three episodes. Um, and I was hoping to get more out of it because now we've seen Burning Seas, now we've seen Mutiny at Mancala, and now we've seen Allegiance that should give us more context of why this planet matters and so on within canon now. And it didn't really feel like it had that kind of impact for me. It was just kind of there as just yet another let's try to tie something in we don't know what's going to actually happen in the movie. We maybe know a couple of characters that might appear. So let's do something where they're searching for allies. And that's really all you need to make it a tie in essentially. Um, 
Let's see. Uh, the solo adaptation, I did like that they added some new scenes to give some new insights. I felt like that was the first time the comics have really tried to do that for the Disney films, as opposed to it being a novelization that was willing to do that. Um, Rise of Kylo Ren, number one, was kind of shocking, and I thought was pretty cool. Love that series, except obviously it has nothing to do with this year outside of the first issue. Um, but those other two um, that are sitting there I haven't mentioned, Galaxy's Edge and Jedi Fallen Order, I think they're the exact opposites of the spectrum. Uh, Jedi Fallen Order, the Dark Temple, I thought was pretty good. I enjoy the insights into Seer and into Master, uh, was it Cordoba uh, was his name? Um, because those are solid characters in the game. The game has an excellent story. And actually the twist in the game, there's a twist in the game that is related to the Inquisitor, which I think is why the Inquisitor got scenes in the comic at all. Because you didn't really need the Inquisitor to be there within the comic for that framing story because it didn't really mean much in the grand scheme of things. But um, having that character there is sort of a touchstone to the game and its twists and its depth for some of these characters, which maybe helps give us more of an appreciation for the characters who do show up in the comic. Uh, I did note, like Mark did, it was a lot more wordy than most Star Wars comics have been, but I think it worked. It was not, you know, if this was not tied into a game, I'm not sure I would have cared. But the fact that it was tied into a game where we had these characters that we had just grown to care about because of the game, um, or were about to, as a case may be, and could look back on this, this wound up having more um, impact than I thought it would. I'm actually in the process now of replaying the game because there are a lot of aspects I've forgotten. And I want to try to get that last episode of uh, Cloud City Casino in with Michael to actually talk about the game. But both he and I are having to kind of play through it to remind ourselves of anything at this point because it's been so long. Um, but then Galaxy's Edge is the opposite side, which is... God, that was just not a series we needed. Um, everybody wants to go back to Batu. I mean, it's just like with Black Spire. It's, it's like, what if you took Black Spire and, uh, was it Galaxy's Edge? Or not Galaxy's Edge, Black Spire and uh, Crash of Fate. Yeah. Take those two and the whole idea of let's set something in the world of the park as a way of getting people to be interested in it. But let's populate this one with random flashbacks, characters we barely get to know, a lot of chaos... And a story that honestly from issue to issue was tough to follow where you really kind of needed to read it as a trade paperback. And even then you really wouldn't care much. It's just that it would make more sense. Um, it just didn't really work. If, if their intent was that this would be the comic equivalent of those books, because you had one from Del Rey, you had one from Disney Lucasfilm Press, and now you got this from Marvel. See, it'll get you interested in the park. This really didn't work for getting me interested in the park. If anything, it reminded me of the kind of chaotic mess of people I would expect at the park more than actually anything Star Warsy necessarily about the park. Um, it kind of I, I think you nailed it with the idea that it was like somebody sitting there at the park and seeing things and wanting to write it down about the minutia of like, you know, here's where this is. Here's where you can find this. Here's what's in this shop, that sort of thing. It reminds me of, again, kind of harkening back to my very first podcast episode. I went to see Attack of the Clones. I was excited, I came back, recorded the episode, and, and proclaimed in that episode that, in my opinion, as of that night in 2002, Attack of the Clones was the best possibly Star Wars film we'd seen yet. And I wish somebody had said, you know what, sit down and record your first episode in a couple of days. Take the time to digest it, pick it apart, and discuss it with people before you give your opinion on it, because maybe you won't feel so rosy about it. I kind of feel like this was somebody who went to the park and either while still at the park or maybe in their hotel room started writing this stuff like, this is so cool! When somebody should have said, dude, go home, sit down, take a little bit to clear your head and then try to write something that's not just a travel log or not just a, isn't this cool that this is in this shop in the background kind of stuff. Um, it just didn't work. 
as a story in and of itself. For me, um, I wonder if if these characters were if we got a little bit more of them in other stories, maybe it would make me more interested in it. But it just felt more chaotic than anything else for that one. Um, so it didn't work. Um, but I would definitely say that this was a mixed bag kind of year for the miniseries, but certainly the ones that were the most solid really were quite enjoyable. Whereas the ones that were bad, they weren't nearly as bad as some of the other ones that we have seen um, in the past. So, you know, I'll, right. I'll give them that they had a Marvel had a better year with miniseries this year than they previously did. Doesn't mean a whole lot. Valedictorian of summer school, but <laughs> still it is an improvement. You know, the, the rise of Kylo Ren, when I was reading that on my comics reader, it, it showed all the issues as 2019. And then you mentioned that only the first one I'm looking back on. And then on the far side, it's like the actual release date. I'm like, oh, snap. I, I read that whole thing thinking it all took place in 2019. That was one that for the last five years, I've been wanting that story. I wanted to know what happened at that academy. I want to know how it went down. You know, one of the things that really irritated the hell out of me was they didn't give you as many answers as you would have think. Like, you know, right out the, the gate when Luke's temple is taken out, you don't know where Luke's at. When the Jedi show up, they can't feel Luke. And I'm just like, did Luke already sever his connection with the Force? Like, Leia doesn't even know what's happened. Nobody knows what's happened. And yet, where is Luke? Like, he's sleeping this out. No one can feel him didn't make any sense but i did also get some really cool comparisons right one distinct difference between ben solo and the solo kids from legends ben is more like anakin skywalker than any of them ever were the closest that those three would have been would have been anakin solo but with him it was more his name than the power right it, it was more like he was the namesake of anakin skywalker and he had the blood of Anakin Skywalker. All the Jedi recognize that Ben is the most powerful one there, right? Ben's also living up to the name of Kenobi. Like, I really thought that, that was an interesting blend of things. But then I also stopped and thought about there's a line that, that Kylo says, well, he's Ben at this point, where he talks about he's the first one. And I'm like, good God, Luke waited that long to, to train anybody? That Ben was the very first person he trained? Well, Ben's already, what, about eight or nine by the time he starts training him? Like, that seemed like a, a serious change up on Luke. And and even from a, a standpoint of like what I would think Luke would have done, because like it felt like in legends, like Luke wanted to train other people before he ever got to lay his kids. You know, he, he did not want to go in and be like, you're going to be my Guinea pig. Let's not screw this up. No, but yet that's what we get in the canon. Like he's going to wait and just train his own his own nephew and they go from there and i'm like man that seems like a really bad idea luke like <laughs> there's a lot of choices luke has made that i'm just like why would you have done that dude doesn't make sense but then there's even that moment where they're talking about like should they call leia and i'm just like thinking like man everything about how this is going down sucks right there's no clue what happened to luke leia still doesn't know i want to see him tell her I want to know what she learned and how that went down. And the only thing we get is towards the end, when we finally find out that the voice of Snoke is Palpatine, because they finally show him in like issue five, that he's there talking in the corner. And you're like, oh, it's, it's Palpatine. In that moment where he strikes down Ren and, and you know, strike him down and you'll claim your title, Leia shows up and Leia has a feeling. But it's like, did Leia have a feeling of when Luke betrayed her? Did she feel 
Ben's, you know, betrayal in the force. There's so many questions I have wrapped around all that. And I felt like this comic just totally didn't touch it at all. They stayed as far away as they could. And then on top of it all, the whole Knights of Ren angle was so damn confusing. The guy's name is Ren, but that's not actually his name. The lightsaber's Ren. They're calling the the force Ren when they're not calling it the shadow. Like, I'm like, what the I was so damn confused. And after waiting five years to get this story, I was kind of like, could, could you just not give us a story and actually give it to us when you know what the hell you're going to do? Because this was kind of a letdown. <laughs> yeah. Like not to go too much into it since it is a uh, 20, the 2020 series for most of it. But I felt like the, the, the Kylo Ren comic was a ongoing series that they decided that they were just going to squeeze into a five issue arc. Um, mm. And like, like take aspects of what they had done in Vader where like they have an entire five episode arc just of Vader getting his lightsaber and give Kylo like two panels um for him to get his lightsaber it's like oh we need to figure out how to get a lightsaber where it's uh um has little splashes on the side oh it's uh, well that's a uh, uh, two panels it's uh, it's good now and there's like so many things like I, I enjoy the comic series immensely, but I felt like they rushed it. They rushed it and they rushed it. it like there was the, they right. tried to do too much in too little of a time when that could easily have been a 20, 30 issue comic series and answered a lot of the questions you were you had, like do some flashbacks where he's like. Um, early in his training before why did Luke wait so long and stuff like that and where is Leia in relation to Ben and um, that sort of thing right and and the whole temple right Ben's taking credit for destroying the temple and I'm like wait I thought did wasn't somewhere that they said Palpatine did that that like he sent the force like that the way it's illustrated I had no sense of that. And all I have dialogue wise is Ben claiming it. And then towards the end, Ben's all mad. You think I'm a murderer? It's like, you've been claiming it this whole time, you jackass. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. I mean, I, again, I think it was better than it could have been based on some of the other miniseries that we've seen. Um, it had aspects of it that were a little bit like, wait, what? Like the helmet thing um, for Rin. And, you know, leaving it behind so you can get the, the impression. But I'm going to actually be wearing it when you find me kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It just it's it worked for what it was, I guess. But I again, I didn't really have super high expectations. I was excited to finally get some backstory for him. But at the same time, it was coming through Marvel rather than, say, through a novel or something. So I wasn't really getting my my hopes up. Um, uh, the joke had, had become that the Knights of Ren, because they they we thought there were like these menacing, like crazy awesome characters and they wound up getting somewhat short tripped in that series and then very short tripped in, in Rise of Skywalker. They were more like the uh, Knights of Stimpy. Um, so that brings us into the Marvel Legends reprints. And there were a few, don't know that we'll have much to say about these because they are all reprints, but just, you know, for the record, we had the uh, Legends Epic Collections continuing. We had the Old Republic Volume 3, which was Knights of the Old Republic 38 through 50, War, and then the Unseen, Unheard story from Tales. We had Legends Epic Collection, The Empire Volume 5, which was a lot of droid stuff. Droids the Kalarba Adventures, uh, the Droid Special, Droids Rebellion, Season of Revolt, Protocol Offensive, R2's Day Out, uh, with Kessel Run and Luke Skywalker Detective from Tales. Then we had the Rebellion Volume 3, River of Chaos miniseries, Empire 28 to 40, the Star Wars 3D miniseries from Blackthorn. We had uh, the Newspaper Strips Volume 2, which was classic Star Wars 4 through 20. 
uh, Original Marvel Years Volume 4, which is issues 56 to 73 and the second annual. We had Menace Revealed Volume 2, uh, which is Republic before it got that name, issues 19 to 35. Then Heart of Fire from Dark Horse Extra and both Puzzle Piece and The Sith in Shadow from Tales, along with Aura's Song from Dark Horse Presents Annual uh, 2000. And then we had the weird reprint of issues one through five of the Ewoks Star Comics series from the 80s in uh, Ewoks Flight to Danger. I'll go ahead and give my opinion to start with, which is it's cool to see them still reprinting Legend stuff, uh, including in physical form. I'd love them to do that with my comic, but right now it is out from Marvel, as is the trade paperback, but only in digital form, which kind of sucks. Um, so I can sort of say I've written for Marvel and Dark Horse. Um, but otherwise, I mean, it's it's great to see them collecting this stuff, but it's not like they're building on it, really, in any cohesive way. So it's more like, you know, it just kind of feels like a company releasing their backlog of titles just for the extra money on it because they're not having to pay extra creative costs. It's just the printing costs to get it out there. Cool that it's there, but I don't know that there's really much more to say about it. Right. Yeah. It's nice for the people that haven't already collected these things. There's an ability to do so. It's also nice if you have collected them and you've read the hell out of it. It's falling apart. You're able to get a replacement. But outside of that, you know, for fan like me and Nathan and Jim, like we've already got these. So it's really not providing us anything unless we want to have a cover that actually says legends on the outside. Yeah, I don't got much to add. It's uh, I own the originals. I have no anticipation of buying a reprint whatsoever. Yeah, give me a new story in the back and maybe just maybe. Oh, that would <laughs> oh, they drive would t- me you know, they would bonkers. do that. Too. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's like a. Like any number of times, like, hey, I've already got this hardback, but we're going to take this short story that was only online and, or only an ebook, like a practical man, and put it in the back of it. Don't you want to buy the paperback now? Crap, yes, I do. <laughs> um, back in the day. Um, all right, then that brings us to IDW, the second of the three publishers to talk about this time around, though the last publisher, Yen Press, won't have much to say. So for IDW, we had the ongoing series Star Wars Adventures with issues 17 through 29. It's 2019 annual. It's Flight of the Falcon special. It's free comic book day 2019 issue that ties into Tales from the Vader's Castle more than Star Wars Adventures itself. And then we had trade paperbacks volumes 5 and 6. And I think since it's IDW, we can probably speed things up a little bit by just hitting these all at once because um, there's not a whole lot to them like with Marvel. So you had the ongoing Star Wars Adventures. We had uh, Star Wars Adventures Destroyer Down get released. That was the one that originally was a loot crate thing um, where you would have actually had to get the loot crate or buy it on eBay or something to get it like I did that they finally reprinted so you could actually get it um, individually. Um, This was the third issue of it and then the trade paperback of it that was released in 2019. Then we had the Tales from Vader's Castle uh, trade paperback from the original Tales from Vader's Castle. But then we had Return to Vader's Castle 1 through 5, which um, was all in 2019. And then they also released three film adaptations, uh, which basically where they're taking the Brazilian film adaptations and just adapting it to English, um, which has sort of the the cartoony style artwork to it to a degree um, for The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, and Solo. Uh, Empire and Jedi had previously been in the original trilogy a big volume, but they were releasing them separately as well, and this is when Empire and Jedi came out. So Star Wars Adventures, Destroyer Down, which is part of Star Wars Adventures, Tales from Vader's Castle, Trade Paperback, Return to Vader's Castle, which are kind of tied in together, well, heavily tied in together, I guess, one character, and then, of course, um, the film adaptations, all from IDW. 
See, IDW is not one that I really collect. It's more of that cartoony type comic. And I just, it's when I was doing Legends, like those, uh, the versions of the Clone Wars little mini digests were like one of the last comics I went back and collected once I'd collected all the others. And that's kind of where I put IDW. Um, you know, I, I'm not really in, a, I got to collect them all Pokemon phase with my new Disney Star Wars canon. So I don't know when I'll ever get around to catching up on those, if ever. Um, you know, and I don't feel like I'm really missing out. Unfortunately, I am in a Pokemon collect them all phase because that is my personality. <laughs> and <laughs> um, I do own all of them. I've read all of them. I like they they have a similar aspect as the Age of series, but I actually like them better. And I don't know why that is. Uh, I feel like they are a bit cartoony. They are geared towards younger um, geared towards younger fans but I feel that lets them that, that that gives me a little bit of a leeway with them. It lets me give them a little of a um, uh, a mulligan, if you will. And I, I have a tendency to like them a little more over time. I do love the fact that they tied in nearly half one out of the two stories in every Star Wars adventures. They tied into the random adventures in Wild Space series that wasn't even released in the U.S. originally. Uh, the uh, young adult, or not even young adult, uh, the kid chapter books. Um, and uh, I love that they tied cool. those in, but used descendants of those kids uh, um, that set, like, the framing story set around the time of the sequel trilogy. And oh. it, it, it really is rather enjoyable in that they do have that tying connection between the, the series. So there's a uh, light. <laughs> there is a light. Um, Destroyer Down, I actually really enjoyed. Uh, the tales from Vader's castles were um, atrocious, and they remain to be they sh they shall be ignored. Um, and the return to Vader's castle didn't get any better. <laughs> I think All that's right. most of them. <laughs> so, um, so looking at these, I would say um, you know Destroyer Down, I already had, so no big deal. I mean, it's a good story. It's kind of a fun story. Uh, one of the better stories we saw from Star Wars Adventures, though, again, it's not saying much. Valedictorian. No, salutatorian in this case of summer school, as I was, the, the, the number two. Um, looking at this, though, you know, Star Wars Adventures, again, j just like Jim, uh, I was a Pokemon gotta collect them all guy. Um, I am no longer. Um, I don't pick up the physical stuff most of the time anymore. I've switched to digital. I've sold off most of the physical um, books and comics collection. Um, the thing about this series, I think he hit it on the head very well, that it's a good comparison to the Age of Rebellion, Age of Republic, Age of Resistance stuff. Um, but these do tend to come off better. And I think it's not that these stories are better. They're still kind of kiddie and kind of stupid at times. And the ones with, um, you know, the, was it grandson or son or whatever of the character from Adventures in Wild Space, um, it really feels like they, they stretch the premise so often to get some kind of moral out of it that the end of every issue should, should be with the the more you know kind of thing from NBC um, where, where it's just like wow this really is after school special kind of territory but the thing about adventure, <laughs> that Star Wars Adventures is that they're not trying to be serious Star Wars stories most of the time they're aiming for the kiddie audience I look at them and I compare them to the Star Comics droids and Ewok stuff and they are gold compared to that old crap <laughs> because that's that's what we have to compare it to as the kid-aimed series. But the Age of stuff was supposed to be aimed at the general Star Wars audience, most of whom are teens to adults. 
um, when it comes to reading the comics and so forth, who are looking for those deeper stories, and we didn't really get them. I think at times we get more deep stories or deep aspects, though it's very few and far between in Star Wars Adventures than we often did in Age of that was supposed to be aimed at that older audience. Um, the other thing I would say for Star Wars Adventures that was the big epic fail this year was that they spent a good chunk of time in those issues, and I talked about this when we talked about the books, building up the Flight of the Falcon stuff. It's a bounce while, uh, 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 was it Bazin Natal uh, is going out there and trying to uh, figure out where the Falcon is and all this kind of stuff. So she's talking to all these people who had encounters with the Falcon and might be a previous owner in one case of the Falcon, like one of the owner previous owners that we met or that we heard about in Force Awakens actually gets shown as an owner and how he got it and everything, uh, or something about him at least, uh, in Flight of the Falcon stuff for Star Wars Adventures, which was kind of cool. Um, but the whole buildup is her hunting for it. And when they finally get to the point where I guess she must find it, they handle that in a book, not in the comic. The book series was, was you know, there was there were books labeled as Flight of the Falcon, but they didn't feel super connected except for the Bazine aspect of it. But there were only a few of them, relatively speaking. The Star Wars Adventures hit that, beat that dead EOP month after month after month after month. And then we had this special that was supposed to be sort of like the end of the whole thing, right? That, that, you know, we build it up in Star Wars Adventures and there's the Star Wars Adventures special, Flight of the Falcon. Except the big climax was in one of the freaking books, Pirate's Price, I believe it was. And in essence, the Flight of the Falcon special was more like an epilogue to everything. It was an extreme <laughs> letdown for people who would have read the comics. Just the way that they built that and designed it was asinine. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a kid series. It is what it is. I never really looked forward to reading them. In fact, I think I still have one or two issues of the newer ones sitting on my iPad that I haven't read that I'm like, well, I'll get to it. It's not like they're going to put out very many more in the near future because of all the COVID stuff anyway. I'll get around to it. Um, there's not a big impetus for it. Now, Tales from Vader's Castle kind of feels like it was a, I don't want to say it was a missed opportunity. It could have been. Some of those were kind of interesting takes on Star Wars, again, kind of like the Tales from the Crypt kind of stuff. But I kind of wish that the team behind Tales from Vader's Castle had been given the ability to be the ones to do Vader Dark Visions. Because they had a lot of kind of interesting premises, but they kiddied it out so many times that it didn't really feel as dark as it should be. It was more like, it was less like reading Dracula and more like reading Goosebumps. You know what I mean? Um, okay. It was yeah. a little too, it's kind of like if you take Galaxy of Fear books from Legends, if those had been written for a slightly older audience, think of how much darker and more interesting and creepy they could have been. Because they had some really cool concepts, but they were done for a kiddie audience. Right. Um, even though some of that went a little far. Um, so, Vader's Castle, uh, Tales of Vader's Castle and Return to Vader's Castle, I feel like they had more promise than they actually did. In fact, the last couple of issues, I think, of Return to Vader's Castle are still sitting on my iPad unread. Um, but generally, the stuff I've read of that series, I enjoyed, but it was enjoyment knowing, oh, if only this had been done for an older audience. If only this wasn't as kiddy as it was. It could have been something, you know, really surprisingly good. Um, and then the uh, IDW film adaptations, I actually like those. I don't tend to read them much because you know, watch the movies but from an adaptation standpoint they look pretty cool the the artwork is nice even though it's not um you know quite the artwork i would usually go with but i think they're going to be great for introducing Cade into it eventually um, and reading some of those to him and whatnot um because it's sort of a kid-friendly artwork without being kiddie if that makes sense um, it looks almost like it should be animation in a lot of ways so 
that's pretty cool. But, but then again, I also think, you know, for me, one of the coolest design aesthetics we've seen in Star Wars in years to me is Galaxy of Adventures and the action figures that go with it. I love that aesthetic. Um, but I know for a lot of folks, it's it doesn't quite hit the Star Wars mark. So I'm probably um, more fond of the film adaptations from IDW than most fans probably would be. Fair enough. Okay. And that gives us our last one, our last category, which is the other publisher of Star Wars comics that don't publish much, and that is Yin Press. Um, previously, we had seen them publish Lost Stars Volume 1, the beginning of a manga adaptation of the novel by Claudia Gray. Uh, it was one of the first major novels, uh, the first big young adult novel, really, coming from Disney Lucasfilm Press. They finally finished that adaptation with Volumes 2 and 3 in 2019. Well, I don't have much on this one, uh, only because I don't have any of the Yen Press stuff. Aside from the fact that Lost Stars is probably one of the best stories that Disney canon has put out. So it makes sense that they would do this. So I literally just finished reading. Um, I, re I reread volume one. I had read it when it first came out, thinking it was the entire story. Then when I finished reading it, realizing that it wasn't the entire story, I'm guess I'm like, I guess I'll wait till like everything comes out. Volume two came out and I'm like, that's still not done. OK, so I waited till volume three and then I kind of forgot about them um, up until uh, <laughs> like the, like a week ago. I, I was going through my pile of stuff and I'm like, I should be able to knock this uh, my pile down pretty quick. And uh, so then when I was uh, asked to join this episode, I'm like, oh, I should finish those and I could talk about them. And so I finished them last night, finished uh, two and three last night. And I must say, like, I loved Lost Stars. I thought Lost Stars was fantastic. And these books hold up. The uh, the artwork is absolutely amazing uh, within it. Um, if you they are manga adaptations, so you read them backwards. Uh, you're reading uh, the the uh, the panels um, from right to left, and the the book you read uh, from the end of the book to the beginning of the book, essentially, if you, uh, in the uh, um, English uh, English style. But once it took me about ten pages because I don't read manga. That option took me uh, often. It took me about ten pages till I kind of got used to it. But it really um, it was really enjoyable. And uh, they, they change up the order of scenes. They kind of chop a couple of scenes out from the book. But you don't really feel it all that much. And the, the story itself uh, really holds up within this, uh, this type of um, adaptation. Yeah, Lost Stars still, to me, is the pinnacle of Star Wars storytelling in canon, basically, at this point. It was a fantastic read. Um, it is still an excellent book at this point. Um, there are very few that I would say would be right up there with it, like, for instance, Dark Disciple. Um, of course, that was based on unproduced scripts for the Clone Wars series. Um, I really wasn't sure what to expect with this because I don't read a lot of manga myself, but I really enjoyed those early um, reprints for, that Dark Horse put out from Japan that were the adaptations of the original trilogy, particularly the first one, uh, the one for A New Hope. And then eventually they put out the one for Phantom Menace. I really enjoyed that one. So I kind of was like, you know what? I've seen Star Wars new manga before and I dug it. I had those two Tokyo Pop Star Wars mangas, Silver and Black, that were all right. I wasn't as fond of those. But the idea of, you know, take something that is traditionally Star Wars that we know as Star Wars and adapt that into this format. And it could be pretty good. Um, so really dug uh, the first uh, of these volumes, but it was kind of jarring a little bit because it sort of takes the story that's told chronologically in the book and gives it a framing story that makes some of it a flashback. 
um, at least in the first volume. So you meet them older and then you see it flash back to them younger as opposed to it all just staying chronological. Um, so that was a little bit jarring, but you know, it, it just, it was a great series. Um, like, like Jim said, there were some tweaks to it along the way. So you'll probably still get more out of it by reading the book, but this is a great way to re-experience the story and really well done. It was by uh, Yusaku Komiyama did the art and the adaptation for this, which was great. And this actually was, a, was sort of reopening a door for me. One thing that a lot of folks don't know about me that is yet another geeky thing of mine is that one thing that I like to collect is comic book slash manga slash whatever, but comic adaptations of Shakespeare plays, particularly of Hamlet, Macbeth, um, and you know just a small smattering of others, particularly Hamlet, Macbeth, um, I've got some Romeo and Juliet's. I've got some for you know kind of the more obscure stuff like Henry VIII and whatnot. Got um, Merchant of Venice. Um, right now I'm in the process of reading through um, the one for Midsummer Night's Dream, which is a play that I actually had never read in its entirety before. And this helped get me back into it because this was, of course, a series where the artwork was amazing. And so I was really kind of craving more of that style for stories that I cared about. And I had sort of gotten used to these reading backwards. Uh, in, in terms of what Americans would think of as reading forwards. Because remember when they did those adaptations for the original trilogy and for Phantom Menace, they put them in Americanized left-to-right order, but they noted that basically it was like they flipped the panels on all the panels, right? So you kind of knew that it wasn't the way it was originally presented in Japan, and these were more faithful to the original version. So reading through these um, you know, right-to-left instead of left-to-right got me sort of a good feel for that, which got me on the hunt for more, and I wound up running into a fantastic series out there called a Manga Classics, just mangaclasses.com, I think, which is full-text, non-abridged, non-updated, non-modern language, just straight-up, original, full Shakespeare text versions of Midsummer Night's Dream that I'm reading right now, Hamlet, Romeo and Juliet, and Macbeth, and got me picking up a few more from other publishers. And those read like traditional manga. They read the same way these do, what we think of as back to front. Um, but having gotten used to it with this, I'm able to just breeze through and read all these Shakespeare plays with these fantastic manga adaptations, especially Hamlet uh, and Macbeth, that I hadn't really had a chance to dive into from that particular company before. Um, so in, in a way, this being such an excellent presentation led me to some of the best presentations I've ever seen for something else that I'm passionate and passionate about and have fun with, which is particularly Hamlet, but reading those Shakespeare plays um, and seeing how different artists adapt the scenes and whatnot. So um, great gateway and a cool series. I would say that if anybody out there is interested in Star Wars comics at all, or Lost Stars at all, or Lost Stars because they've heard of us talking so highly of it, but haven't ever read it themselves, this is a fantastic way to get it. It's three volumes, fairly easy to get your hands on because now they're all freaking out. I just wish they hadn't released them so far apart um, because it does seem like there was a very long gap between the first and the second one. Yeah, I would say, I think the second one even got pushed back, um, which made it a longer gap than it should have been. But I would say out of all of the comics we talked about today, that if you were to, you were sitting down wondering what, what comic series you should pick up, you're really interested in a comic series. I'd pick this up before anything by Marvel or IDW. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I, I'd even read that comic, and I would actually agree. Story-wise, you're definitely in for a treat. <laughs> nice. So and I, so I want to share something here as we're kind of wrapping this up. I, we always try to give our final thoughts on a year, because that was the last of the categories, 
right? So we're done talking about the individual stuff. And something sprang to my mind when thinking about Star Wars comics and the fact that still, year after year, and actually in, in much of the stuff we talked about this year, we talked about this with the novels too, this whole idea that they don't want to really do anything, as you say, bombastic. They don't want to do anything super meaningful within the comics or the novels. They want to leave that for TV. They want to leave that for Disney+. Plus. They want to leave that for the movies. And a lot of times we have these series that just aren't all that great. They're, you know, that were middle ground, you know, a, a, like a six on a scale of ten is considered par for the course. So that it takes a lot for something to really stand out. And it shouldn't. Right, that this really should be a stronger saga in print because we know it can be done from Legends. And because with canon, it's supposed to be more meaningful. It's supposed to all be equal now, theoretically. And you have this vibrant new creativity coming in where there's not the constraints of decades of continuity already existing. This continuity has only existed now for, what, six years, seven years? Um, so it should be better. And it got me thinking about a quote from one of my favorite Aaron Sorkin works. Uh, Aaron Sorkin is a screenwriter. He's one of my favorite screenwriters. He's the guy that was behind the West Wing. He did um, A Few Good Men. Um, but he did a, a film with uh, Michael Douglas, among others, um, called The American President. And there's this great exchange between Lewis and President Shepard, played by uh, Michael J. Fox and Michael Douglas, respectively that I think really stands out to the way that we th we kind of perceive what's going on right now with Star Wars. And this is a dark point in the film. This is a point where the president's poll numbers are down, the president's personal life is all over the news, and people are questioning his leadership despite the fact that this is a good man, a family man, etc. Um, but they're even questioning his family values because of just the scandals that are being invented around him rather than just the truth of what's going on with him. It's a dark point. And there's an argument essentially between these two characters where Michael J. Fox is kind of stepping up and saying, you know, he's a member of the president's staff, but he has a right to question the president just as anyone would because he is an American citizen. Just like we as readers, as consumers of Star Wars stuff, we should question what's going on with Marvel, what's going on with the story group, what's going on with Lucasfilm, what's going on with Star Wars out of that whole idea, kind of like in that film of what I've said for years is that loyal opposition concept. Right? You love something so much that you are willing to pick it apart, find where it's not as good as it could be or should be, and work towards or speak out to try to get it to be even better. It's part of being intellectually honest. And if we think in terms of leadership in the quote that I'm going to give you as akin to quality of storytelling, um, then I think this really hits home um, for, for how the, the publishing line is right now. Uh, Michael J. Fox character Lewis says, people want leadership, and in the absence of genuine leadership, they'll listen to anyone who steps up to the microphone. They want leadership, Mr. President. They're so thirsty for it, they'll crawl through the desert toward a mirage, and when they discover there's no water, they'll drink the sand. Right? That's us. We want good Star Wars storytelling, and we are so desperate for it that we'll buy the crap and the substandard stories that are out there because it's all there is. At which point the president replies, and again, this is a dark point for this character, and maybe this is the mindset of some of the people who are writing these stories and giving us substandard stuff constantly, like Age of Republic, knowing that it's not going to matter, knowing that they're giving us stuff that we're going to buy, whether it's meeting the quality standards it should or not. President Shepard answers, Lewis, we've had presidents who were beloved, 
who couldn't find a coherent sentence with two hands and a flashlight. People don't drink the sand because they're thirsty, Lewis. They drink it because they don't know the difference. Which point in the film, thunder rolls. But in essence, I wonder if to some degree there's a sense that, and, and we've said this before, that Star Wars fans will buy anything with Star Wars on it. There doesn't need to be better continuity. There doesn't need to be more meaningful stories. They don't need to listen to the complaints over and over again, year after year, about how much this stuff, they're giving us stories that don't matter and we want something consequential. They don't have to do that. Because fans will buy it anyway. In essence, we'll eat the sand, and I hate sand, because we don't know the difference. <laughs> Somewhere along the line, someone in this cycle, whether it's the fans or the creative talents behind it, or those who own the copyrights, have to step up and decide the quality of what we're doing now isn't what we want to do. Someone has to say the creative freedom isn't there like it should be. Or somebody has to come in and say that creative freedom doesn't mean you do whatever the hell you want, even if it doesn't matter or derails things. But maybe creative freedom means that together we need to pool our talents and make something grand, make something great. For God's sake, get together and make a effing plan for movies, for TV, for the books, for the comics. Sit around, bring the awesomeness of the writers that are involved, the story group that is involved, come together as a round table. We know you got a round table. We've seen the Disney stuff for behind the scenes of Mandalorian. We know a round table exists. Come together <laughs> and make a plan and make something great because this saga deserves that. And it isn't getting it from the publishing line. And I don't think it's because the people who are writing the stories don't want to tell these grand stories or can't tell these grand stories. There's something in the process that is so restraining on them that we keep getting mostly fluff year after year after year. And it's a disservice to the fandom and it's a disservice to the saga. Mm -hmm. I got high hopes for the High Republic. I don't have high hopes for the High Republic but I have high hopes that I will be proven wrong, which I guess is a subtle difference. Mm. Jim, any uh, final words for you, my man, before we uh, go into our closing? No, other than you just put two different songs in my head of High Hopes and The Thunder Rolls from Bob Seger. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I just, I, I agree. Um, I feel like within Legends, there were a lot more impactful stories than we've been getting. Um, I think a lot of Legends fans also have a tendency to wipe away the fact that there was a lot of crap in there, too. Um, and I love Legends. I owned all the books and read everything. And so um, I, but I do readily admit that there is a there there was a lot of crap filled in with the 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 greater stuff. And yeah. so Keep Crystal Star away from me and yeah. Children of the Jedi. <laughs> Um, the Glove of Darth Vader series single-handedly almost made me stop reading any Star Wars ever again. That's how bad it was. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm optimistic. Hopefully, optimistic. Um, cautiously optimistic. One of those, uh, one of those things that we will now that we've reached the end point of movies. Um, they keep talking about more movies, but we have nothing definitive locked down. And with the, this High Republic, maybe that they're starting to do a turnaround of how they're treating the books and the comics. But um, yeah, like Nathan, I'm 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 not holding my breath. Okay.
That about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report's website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher and on iTunes, as well as Spotify, which we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's literally one of the best ways to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans in fact we have that feedback episode coming up so if you have any star wars or legends questions or you just want to comment about a past episode fire off you can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com now lastly before we go we want to mention to you our audible trial if you go to www.audibletrial.com slash report, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars universe, the expanded universe, or any other genre without risk of being stuck with the book you flat out hate because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months. That's one year with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making that switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. And Jim saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you and don't quote us the odds that somebody out there actually needed that clarification mark just gave that 12 months is indeed one year (laughs) you'd be surprised when you get kids everything's in months (laughs) i was just thinking of the chronology of karen travis's order 66 that jim brought up earlier maybe somebody does need to be having the way time works explained but that was many years ago and just remember that if you don't like your new host blame the host that left (laughs) that's fine that's fine blame me i won't be here to take the crap anyway (laughs) i know how to use the hide user from channel button on youtube dang it Oh, yes, yes, yes. Trailer! Yeah, I know. <sighs> I know. Episodes are also available on Stitcher, on iTunes, on... Uh, what's that other one we caught? Pandora? No, what is it? No. Spotify? Spotify? Is it Spotify? Damn. I don't know. I don't. You, there was a point where you were talking about Zoom years ago. And I was like, I, really? I, you, you talked about that much longer than anybody else talked about Zoom. <laughs> That's true. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Episodes you can are available. Also get podcasts delivered to your door. Um, just give Mark your address. Contactless delivery, though, folks. It's okay. No spit involved. <laughs>